In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I bring on Jay King and Jared Weiss, who cover the Celtics for The Athletic, to preview the Sixers vs. Celtics series. Enjoy the podcast. How you guys doing? I, I, I'm hating life right now. I'm in the pro, <laughs> in the process of a move. <laughs> I just moved my desk and my TV and had to take apart my desk and then put it back together again in the new place. So life sucks. <laughs> I mean, but playoff you, basketball is coming. So Well, it's your own damn fault for scheduling it during the playoffs. You had to know this was coming. Yeah, I mean, who could have possibly predicted that the NBA was going to happen in August. This is normally my month off. This should be my month off. But no, here come the playoffs. All right, so we have Sixers Celtics, 63 six seed Sixers 43 and 30, Boston 48 and 24. Uh, I guess we'll just start off with you guys since this is primarily a Sixers podcast. Listeners are probably a little more up to speed. Tell us why the Celtics are, you know, where they stand, how they're doing and why they're a threat to make a uh, make a run. Well, they're not the Sixers, and that that helps. That helps. That helps, helps, man. (laughs) Um, I mean, basically, everything that they tried to do last year, they just needed another year to make it work, and maybe replacing Kyrie Irving certainly helps a little bit, but they finally have that interchangeable offense where they basically just run lots of actions from up above the slots, and they can do it with whomever they want on the floor pretty much any time. And their weakest link has been Marcus Smart, who is one of the best pick-and-roll playmakers from a statistical perspective, and for some reason is in the top five in pull-up three-point shooting in the NBA, which is one of the great anomalous stats of the century. That's so, my favorite stat It's it's crazy. the entire time I've been covering the Celtics. It's, it's definitely the most unlikely thing I've seen happen in my life, in any facet of my life, as long as I've been alive. And so... Uh, yeah, so that's why they're really good, um, but obviously they can be exposed due to their lack of size, and if they were to happen upon a first-round matchup with a player that was really good at being big and dominating in the post, that could be a problem for them, and I mean, Miles Shayok, I guess, is a tough matchup, but we'll probably get into, into Joel Embiid a little bit here, I assume. I do love the Marcus Smart heat checks, and I also like sitting on press row. Jay is cut from the same cloth as us Philly guys that he'll just start laughing when he starts doing it. Um, there is nothing I love more than a Marcus Smart heat check. It is the most entertaining thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, we we don't usually have like the heat checks, although Korkmaz has had Korkmaz, a couple. yeah. Yeah, and I rewatched a couple games from the, the season, and in Philly we can see – kind of behind the basket when he's running back. And I've caught myself laughing a couple of times, but (laughs) what, um, I guess I'm curious. It feels like this Sixer season is a lot like the Celtics season. So much like it. Yeah. Um, so I I guess from, from you guys who live through that crazy Celtic season, obviously personnel is different. Some of the contracts are different. Uh, have you seen any similarities in how that has happened? And I guess how have the Celtics, recovered is it just simply getting rid of uh you know who I, I think part of it was just getting rid of Kyrie like that definitely helped from a morale standpoint but the Celtics last season were just so broken in so many different ways and they had so many different factors that went against them like first Gordon Hayward was injured and he wasn't even close to the same but they were playing him a lot of minutes because they knew to be the best version of themselves they were going to need him they had just come back from a playoff run where the young guys Jason Tatum Jalen Brown Terry Rozier were the stars and then they came back Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were healthy again they weren't in the roles that they wanted and thought they deserved they probably had nine guys who thought they were the second or third best player on the team which is not really a good recipe for success you need guys to be in their roles. I think their their problems are different than the 76ers problems are now. Where the Sixers, I think part of it is fit and part of it is a lack of shooting or at least willing shooting. Um, where I don't think the Celtics talent or like basketball fit was the real issue. It was just like every other thing was wrong. And now, now they have fewer mouths to feed. They have 
young guys who have taken a step forward with increased responsibility, and they have Kemba and Gordon Hayward, two stars who really empower Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to do their thing, which I think has been really important. And yeah. also, there, there's a magical curse that goes around the NBA and just takes down one team every single year. <laughs> and so this year is Philly, last year is Boston. And Al Horford always seems to be involved. <laughs> Poor Al Horford. Like, he's such a nice man. And he, I don't think he deserves the problems he's dealt with the last two years. Although I do think he's part of the fit issues in Philadelphia. Sure. What do you guys think of uh, of Al? I mean, you guys have been around him on a, on a daily basis for what was that three years at, the, at that point um he has been an interesting fit in philadelphia yeah the the numbers when him ben simmons and Embiid play have been terrible he's been a little bit better in the bubble i know jared i remember talking to you when i was up in boston in february and you were like you know he's there is a little bit of him saving his uh himself for the playoffs and and getting to his his highest gear what um what did you guys see from him? Like, was it common for him to sort of struggle a little bit during the season? I know there was like the average Al moniker uh, a little bit in Boston. Um, I guess what what did, what did you what have you seen from him this year? And is it different from what you have seen uh, in Boston? Yeah, the the average Al thing was definitely blown out of proportion. Yeah. That was that was literally a, a former Red Sox player who was a mid uh, who was a I think a midday talk show host on the number two rated sports station that was looking to drive up ratings and maybe like ten people in the city jumped on that bandwagon. But it was it was mostly just fodder for Al's sister Anna, who I hope <laughs> has become a huge part of Sixers Nation because she is. Endlessly I think she wants to like go back to Boston. Yeah, honestly. she tweeted something oh, about going does. back to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> no, she definitely misses Boston. Mostly because she can get into the clubs for free there. But um, the I think the, you know there is definitely an exp- I'm expecting a bit of a playoff foul jump, but it's going to be diminished compared to where it was in the past. And I think the big difference that you would see in the playoffs than you would see during the regular season with Horford was that. It, for one, a big difference was the offense pretty much ran through him in Boston, and that's not the case in Philadelphia, even, unless they're going to you know do that high-low entry play to Joel Embiid 100 times a game. you know He's not going to have the ball in his hands nearly as much. And so I guess the big difference was he would be pretty passive during the regular season. It was always about making the simple right play to continue on the play, and he seized a lot more control and then also played with just like – he just played a lot harder. He played more aggressive. He was much more physical, all that kind of stuff. And so for him, it was always basically he's going to take it a little bit easier during the regular season so that he knows he can play for two months in the playoffs, playing at his absolute peak energy level without breaking down. And so, you know, we we probably will see a little bit of that, uh, at least in the first round. But like the, the main reason why he's not fitting is because he's no longer a 40% shooter from deep. Like his, his shot has just fallen off a cliff. And because of that, teams just don't have to completely stay home on him. I think, too, like when Al Horford signed with the 76ers, I thought it was a great, great addition for them. I, I thought he was going to fit perfectly because Al is a versatile big. He can play the four. He can play the five. He can guard. He can play often. Like he, he does a little bit of everything. For I didn't realize how pick-and-roll centric he'd become in Boston. Yeah. Like the, the pick-and-pops were such a big part of what he did. And when he's playing against a closeout, He's really, really good because yeah. he makes smart decisions. He makes quick decisions. He he can be the hub of your offense. When you don't play run, pick, and rolls, you're eliminating a huge part of what makes him special. And so I, I didn't foresee how much that was going to matter, and I think that's mattered a lot in Philadelphia. Yeah, they turned him into a spot up wing on the weak side elbow for the most part. That's just not what his role is anymore. It's not they're not playing to his strengths at all. They're kind of wasting what you know what he has left in his career, basically. He used to kill Embiid with those pick and pops, those long closeouts. Embiid really had two nemesis in um nemeses. I don't even know how to say that. Nemesai. 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 All right, there you go. Thank you. I don't, know if that's I don't right. think it's really nemesai. <laughs> it's derived of the Morai. Nemesises. Uh, it was him and Marc Gasol, and Al would, you know, the Gasol thing was it was mainly defense, where he would just body him up in the low post, and he, he's still doing it. If uh, if you watch a game the other night, but Al on offense would just drive Joe crazy with those long closeouts. And to your point, Jay, I don't even know if the Sixers have 
the pick and roll point guard that, you know, in the 2018 playoff series, it was Terry Rozier who was, uh, yeah. who was throwing those passes back to him. And I just, I don't know if the Sixers have the player with that ability to just get in the lane. But, but Terry, like, he didn't have that either. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, like Al made things so easy for him. Yeah. And, and honestly, like Al, he might have lost a step. He might have lost some on his jumper. But I think more of it is just, they steered away from what he does best. And and I think some of that is smart. Like you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like you can't just run everything through Al Horford, your third best player. But at the same time, like diminishing Al has kind of made him average Al. Well, I mean, not <laughs> he, he's only fulfilling you, his prophecy. Yeah. Not only do you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid's always going to post up a lot, but you also then have Shake Milton and Howell Neto as your sort of pick and roll yeah. ball handlers. So it's a, e- even if Terry Rozier was a, a not perfect, it's not like the Sixers have a real replacement. And to be honest, Al started playing pretty well towards the end of the season when he was playing a little more with shake in that role. Um, but now things are, things are different and beads back. All right, let's pause for a brief break to hear from Manscaped. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have forever changed their grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0, a waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third generation trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Be sure to use their crop cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Subscribe to the perfect package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Now back to the show. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll sort of transition to there. The Sixers actually won three out of four against Boston, what feels like a year and a half ago, earlier in the season. And that, that what I think the last game was early February. So it's 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 been a minute. Yeah, February first. But really, it came down to two major factors. First of all, the Sixers defended Boston's primary scorers pretty well. Uh, I think well, let's what do we have here? Kemba Walker shot thirty seven percent from the field in the four games. He only played three of them. Jason Tatum thirty three percent. They really struggled, and part of that is Ben Simmons. He's gone, and then also you had Joel Embiid's success in the post, specifically that one game in I think it was December. We had like thirty six and six assists or something in that range. So how do you see sort of the Sixers being able to match up with the, the with Boston's scoring attack from the perimeter? As I, I guess just we'll start it off with, like, what do we think some of these matchups, some of these defensive si- assignments are going to be now that Ben Simmons is out? That's what's interesting to me. Like, so interesting because now Horford's in the starting lineup next to Embiid. And does Horford guard Jalen Brown? Because Jalen Brown is launching threes now. Jalen Brown has become far more confident beyond the arc. He's going to be a tough cover for Horford if that happens. Tatum, there's no like obvious defender for him now that Simmons is gone. And then at but at the same time like Tatum the, his struggles against the 76ers were real and I don't like Simmons played a part in it, but I think a lot of it too was just that Horford and Embiid were really good defending the paint. And Tatum's not like even though he's gotten much, much better since a lot of those games. Like, he had a midseason leap that happened after several of those matchups against the 76ers. But he's not great at finishing through contact. He can be, when he's at his worst, he's, like, settling for bad mid-range jumpers. And I think Horford and Embiid can help force him into that, or at least some of that. So I think that's the danger for the Celtics is if if they don't attack the 76ers well the 76ers are still even with Simmons gone sort of built to to push them into some of their worst habits i mean i've i've got horford matched up on tatum uh, at the beginning of the game 
And I, I think the reason why I think it's that one Tatum's play style fits what Horford can do best. Horford can still defend with his hands really well. And if you can get someone that knows how to hand check Jason Tatum without getting called for fouls, that can take away most of Tatum's penetration game and force him to be mostly a step back three point shooter, which obviously he can get really hot and he can destroy your team that way. But you want him to be playing that game as opposed to his drive and kick game. So Horford makes sense there. And then it's kind of, I feel like the the ones that make sense are Horford on Tatum and then Richardson on Walker. And I mean, Kemba Walker just, I think it was yesterday, was saying how Josh Richard, he like has nightmares of Josh Richardson guarding him in the playoffs when he was in Miami. So uh, I think that's a pretty obvious matchup there. So then I guess I mean, Shake Milton would probably be on Gordon Hayward because Hayward will also be running point a lot of the time, and Milton at point of attack makes more sense than Harris. And then you have Harris out on Jalen Brown where he can kind of help off him a little bit and obviously has to stay home as best as possible because Jalen Brown's one of the best spot-up deep shooters in the game. So I I think if Horford can manage to hold his own and Tatum's not getting around him, then the matchups could hold up pretty well. It's it's dicey, though, Shake Milton against Gordon Hayward. Shake is, uh, I think he's played honestly really well considering what was expected of him coming into the season think like offensively he's a really smart player just cutting and and passing and making the open three he is somebody who you can target on the defensive end and I've watched enough Sixer Celtics games over the past few years like JJ Redick was in for a workout when uh (laughs) when they were gonna play like the Sixers one week defender so I I do think if Shake Milton is in the game like we're gonna see a lot of Gordon Hayward and (laughs) Gordon Hayward is one of those players that Brett Brown uh, mentioned the other day can get 30 points on you pretty easily. Yeah, I'm pretty curious to see what they do with Tatum because it's like you guys said, I don't think they have a matchup. Like where, where Simmons, you actually feel really good with him guarding Tatum. Like it's like he can actually maybe even handle that matchup like he did in the four games. They, they don't have that on the roster. So yeah, like you guys said, I wonder if they're just going to say, hey, we'll put Horford in and if Tatum is making those step back threes that he was making, like in that Lakers game in March, uh, we're screwed. So, and, and just live with what the other guys are doing. I do think Josh Richardson and Matisse Thibel will see a lot of Kemba Walker. I don't know. Brett Brown likes that matchup. Those guys, uh, there's a lot placed on those guys. The way the Sixers guard pick and rolls, it's, it's sort of similar to the bucks where they, they drop and they force the guards to chase over. It's a lot of responsibility on those guys. And and when it's going bad, those two are committing a ton of fouls. And it's just, it's not even something that I would blame them for. It's just, it's really hard with Embiid all the way back at the basket if there is a player capable of pulling up from three. And, and like you guys said, I think earlier with the Marcus Smart being in the top five, they have what, four players in the top like 20 of pull up three point shooting. Is that right? Yeah, Tatum, Tatum, and Walker are way up there. Uh, smart, I think. Think just three. Okay. Yeah, Hayward, Hayward's around like fortieth or so, and then Jalen Brown's not that good at it, but Jalen Brown's top ten in catch and shoot threes. So, you know, you're really picking your poison there, basically. Yeah, and it's why I think the Celtics really have a chance to go go deep in the playoffs because they'll, if they play a team like Milwaukee, they have multiple players who can just pull right off that. Uh, right off that screen. So that's going to be tough. I think that's that's an important matchup. I do wonder if Horford struggles if they decide to change the starting lineup. I um I just don't know if Matisse. there's like an option. Yeah, because if you play Matisse, are you going to stick him on Tatum? Like I, I don't really think I I, I, I still point, I still think Tatum don't. would get his normal shots that he would get against Horford, but I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 really weird how one injury throws everything in flux because at some point you were like, okay, you put Richardson on Kemba, you put Simmons on Tatum, and this can sort of make sense. And they're still going to be a really tough team to guard, but this can this can this can make sense conceptually. You have, and it, it's it's tough because like you guys were talking about with the pull ups, that's sort of like tailor made to beat like the Sixers defense has weaknesses that they build in because Embiid's so good at the rim. And Celtics offense and skill set is sort of tailor-made to take advantage of that. But you at least had the personnel. And now you're going to be relying a lot more on Shake Milton, a lot more on unproven wings off the bench, whether that's Furkan or Matisse. Uh, Matisse, uh, he really had like a welcome to the NBA moment 
when he went up against Kemba that first time. Uh, because Kemba is so good at not only pulling up off the dribble, but drawing fouls and seeking out fouls off screens and off of three-point shots. And some of Matisse's bad habits sort of bit him real quickly. But you could almost see him grow throughout not only the season, but even in that game. So it would have been real interesting with Simmons. Um, that is certainly a side of the court that I think they will feel his absence the most. But, yeah, it's it's this is a, this is a tough matchup for the Sixers. What about Thibel on Kemba and Richardson on Tatum? That's what I was thinking if they make the change in the starting lineup, yeah. That's yeah. an option. I Richardson is giving up, I don't know, it feels like a lot of size in that matchup, but yeah. he's he's scrappy, and I, I guess the thing you would tell him is just, like, don't fail. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he can and get And Tatum doesn't heavy. draw a ton of fouls, and it, it's it's not always like, like, his size is most useful in getting Shooting to over. his three-point shots. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it's not like he's going to just bully Richardson, I don't think. Um, I mean, we saw it against the Blazers. Damian Lillard took that matchup and actually handled Tatum pretty well uh, over a very short spurt. But still, I, I think like if you're physical with Tatum, if you get into him, he can be bothered a little bit. So I, I, I think that that matchup's one I would go to a little bit. I got a question for you guys. This has baffled me. Maybe the one stat that baffles me the most about the 76ers they are 17th in opposing points in the paint. How is that possible with Joel Embiid and Al Horford? It's because they they funnel their guys towards the towards the basket. I mean, Embiid, but so do the Bucks, right? And yeah. the Bucks are the best at that, and yeah, they, they that, lead the league by far in opposing points in the paint. Yeah, it's the, the execution is not quite as good. I mean, I, I think part of it is the Bucks are a little more willing to help off those other shooters. Like, okay, the Sixers are pretty militant at. Uh, at cutting off the three-point line, and I, I think some of that they have relaxed since the uh, since they've gotten into the bubble. Not to any success, mind you, because their defense has been <laughs> terrible. Hey, but so they have the third-ranked bubble offense. Which I mean, is I, I mean their offense has been pretty good. They I'm actually play a lot of poor teams, though poor defensive teams specifically. I, I feel okay about their offense right now. I, I think where they're going to lose this series on defense, but yeah, Jay, I feel I, okay about their offense until we see Shake Milton try to. Bring the ball up against Marcus Smart, and then I will feel less okay. <laughs> that's that's something that, like, is it seems like a small thing. It seems like you know, like a high school basketball thing. Like, oh man, they're gonna trap the hell out of that point guard. Like that shouldn't <laughs> happen in the NBA. The that's a real thing with Ben Simmons not in the game. Like they, if the Celtics try to trap Shake, he he might struggle to get the ball up the court, and I'm not sure how they'll do it. Um, yeah, they they cut off the three point line, so they put a ton of responsibility on Embiid. And on the the guy chasing the uh, the shot, I, and the other problem is when Embiid doesn't play, like they've largely played that system, it just doesn't work. Like they just get killed. And yeah, that's been part of it. I mean, it's been a disappointing defense all year. Like they they have the talent to be. I, I know the Bucks have been insane this season. Okay, so if not them, the second best defense in the league, and they they just haven't quite gotten there. So. I think that's almost more disappointing than their offense. The uh, so so the one thing I'm curious about from you guys because, I mean, we kind of already touched on the wing matchups. I think the Sixers are, you know, if if your best strategy is to hope Jason Tatum takes bad shots against a smaller defender and like tries to post him up, it, it's it's a weakness on that end of the floor for sure. Their one chance of winning is Joel Embiid, obviously. What do you think? Uh, you know, Daniel Tice has had an awesome year. He uh, he is somebody who I, I didn't. He wasn't really even on my radar, and, and now he's he's playing big minutes for the Celtics as they're they're taking off. But they also have Enos Kanter and Robert Williams. How do you think they will uh, will go about trying to limit the uh, the damage MB can do? Uh, just double, 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 and then double a little bit more after that, and so. I think we're going to see a lot of kind of soft straddle doubling down, basically, where the Celtics, I think, at least at first, are going to try to rotate the near guy down. So whoever's at the top of the key or on the strong side elbow, just have that guy kind of sit at the corner of the free throw line and try to just jump in towards Embiid at the last seconds. That's not going to work for very long, and then they're going to have to start rotating guys over from the weak side to really hard trap, and that's where I think earlier in the season that probably would have worked pretty well, and Boston's had some success with that, but the way that Embiid was just flinging passes from the left block on those hard traps in the bubble, 
I mean, he was he was nailing that guy on the weak side corner or the weak side elbow easily pretty much every single time. Didn't really have that many turnovers on it. And so if he's passing like that against the Celtics defense, then they're really in trouble. And I guess the one thing that they have to save them is that they have so much length across the board that it's, it is a lot harder to skip past it across the court against them than it is against most defenses. Yeah, the, the Celtics have been really good at double teaming and rotating most of the season because they're so small because they're so quick they can recover quicker than most teams but also they need to pull off those double teams because of their lack of size Tice is not like a regular post-up defender uh, he has to do his work really early if he doesn't Embiid's going to be a f- problem for him I think it might be a Cantor series because one the Sixers the guards like they don't have enough playmaking juice to really, really punish his defensive limitations. Agreed and two, that. his yeah. bulk could come in handy against Embiid. So I'm interested to see what the Celtics do behind Tice. Like I've, I've kind of been interested in that all year. Robert Williams has played really well recently. I don't know what he'll look like against Embiid. I, I'm curious to see. I don't know if we'll see much of that. Um, but that that's one of my... It, questions about the, how the Celtics are going to guard and beat who is that backup center how many minutes does Tice get how, how many can he handle and then like the big key with guarding and beat is like don't ruin your whole the rest of your defense to guard like you have to do at least a decent job on everybody else and I think the overreaction to a huge Joel Embiid output would be like that would be scary to me if I were the seller. Like you don't want to overreact. Like he's going to, he's going to have big, big nights, but you have to cut off the the rest of the guys who I don't think have enough like shot creation talent to really kill you. If, if you do a solid job, you are selling Alec Burks really short. <laughs> I'm sorry. To, <laughs> my, many apologies to him and Neto, the two gods. All right, let's pause for a brief break to hear from DraftKings. Grab your peanuts and popcorn baseballs back. That's right, the boys will be getting back out on Diamond this week. And while we may not be able to join them in a stadium, there's plenty of action to be had from the comfort of your home. There is no better place to get in on the action than DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To celebrate baseball coming back, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering free bets for every home run your team hits. Taking advantage of this Grand Slam offer is easy. All you have to do is place a pregame bet of at least $25 on your home team, and for every home run they hit in that game, you'll get $5 worth of free bets. Additionally, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering all new users a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't worry if baseball isn't your game. DraftKings offers great odds and promotions on all sports, ranging from MMA to basketball. DraftKings Sportsbook is U.S.-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, it's easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code QUICK when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's code QUICK to get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. Yeah, Alec Burks' line drive jumper in the bubble, it's like 85% right now. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to continue. I'm pretty curious, yeah, what they do because, like you said, I think it's a pretty good series for Canner. The Sixers, the, their lack of, of pick-and-roll guards and just their general style. I mean, Embiid is not, he can run a pick and roll. It's not his strength. He is the post-ups are where he's, he's really a difference maker. Um, and they did start Canner in the first game of the season. If you, uh, if you can think all the way back that far, almost a year ago now. Yeah. That, that was many, many years ago. The yeah. David Lee to his uh, dream on green. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see, like if Tice plays, I, I think his value would be more on the other end of the court. If, you know, he's not Al Horford, but if he can make a few threes and get Embiid even like a step or two outside of the paint, then that makes a big difference for the Celtics driving to the basket because, yeah, the Celtics have, have struggled um, finishing at the rim against Embiid. And the, one thing I think we didn't talk about about the Celtics' defense against Embiid, 
just sorry to cut you off <laughs> but the ball pressure will be a huge thing like if you can take a few extra seconds off the shot clock if if you can make it tough for them to get into sets if you can make entry passes tougher and i think they can against the 76ers then all of that matters in in what Joel Embiid can do. So all of that goes into it. And this the Celtics, like all season long, Brad Sears said, our ball pressure needs to be great. Our ball pressure needs to be great. Well, in this matchup specifically, their ball pressure should be really, really good. And it should be really disruptive. And I still watch a lot of Sixers games where they're just missing Embiid. And it's like, I think it's an easier said than done thing. Like, that's a that's a classic old guy thing to say. Like the entry pass is a lost art, you know. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's harder with the way defenses rotate and how quick they are now. But there are times where Embiid will run straight down the floor and he's open for half a second and they just won't hit him. And and some of that, you're right, it involves the uh, the passer and also the amount of pressure they put on the ball. Yeah, and I I think the Celtics it's uh it's going to be a tough one for Embiid because his uh. You know his his recognition. It, it's got to be faster than normal because they rotate so well. I mean, I just think about those kickout switches they do all the time, but I'm sure that's also the case on the uh, on the post up passing. But in, in the bubble, it's kind of funny. He just he lets the double come to him, and if he keeps the ball above his head, doesn't really matter if there are two guys on him. Like it doesn't like actually affect his pass. And I think he started to realize that and have a little more patience. He's gonna have to do it really well because I, I agree with you. I don't think. Uh, Tice or or even Canner can body him, and it's it's not playing against Canner's strength. But I, I do think like the Celtics, they're not going to be able to guard him one on one. It's so funny how different the Celtics have to guard him now compared to the way they used to. Like they used to just let Horford and Aaron Baines single team him, and now hell no, like <laughs> they they can't do that. They can't get away with stuff like that. And I. I- I disagree, actually. I mean, if you go back and you watch the Canner tape, and I mean, there were some plays where he looked like a complete fool. I mean, Embiid just destroyed him. Canner can actually absorb most of Embiid's post moves and force him into either some like kind of wacky spinning pirouette Eurostep style moves under the rim, which are really out of control, or face him into his force him into his fadeaway game, which is obviously what the Celtics really want to do because that's when he's not drawing fouls for the most part. So. I think Canner has shown that he can match up well. And if you look at all the guys, like if the top eight possession, like by number of possession defenders against MB this year, both Tice and Cantor are in there. And Tice actually has the best points per possession against him, but that's because they're doubling and forcing him to kick out most of the time. But Canner is one of the few guys that gets him in single coverage, and his efficiency is pretty much identical to Marcus Soles. And everyone feels like Marcus Soles is the Embiid killer. And so I think Canner actually needs that people need to put some respect on his name when it comes to his single coverage against Embiid. Also, they needed Celtics need to clean up the glass. Offensive rebounding is going to be a huge, huge factor in this series. Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting. If, if there's one thing I'm confident though, you brought up Daniel Tice becoming a shooter. He will make threes against the Sixers. I still have nightmares of Aaron Baines all of a sudden becoming a three point shooter. A couple years back, he didn't even know what fucking foot to put forward, and he was draining them from beyond the arc. So <laughs> what Daniel if Robert Tice Williams just threes. drills corner threes this uh, series? As long as they look better than Baines's, I, I would accept it. But oh, they won't. No. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll wrap this up here. We've had you guys on for a little bit. Quick predictions and um, yeah, go. I got Celtics in five, but it's going to be a close five. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't foresee too many too many blowouts happening. I think it's going to be like a slug it out series. I just think the Celtics are they have too many good players versus a team that doesn't have enough of them. I think that's a fair analysis. <laughs> a, ge- a gentleman's five. Not, not a gentleman's sweep, but a gentleman's five. Yeah. And uh, I had it at five and a half, and so I think I rounded <laughs> up to six. So I think it's going to be basically like the last series from a couple years ago. And actually, I, I didn't even say this before, but Tice's shooting is probably the biggest X factor for how quickly the series goes because he's actually been a pretty mediocre three-point shooter this year, but he's been a little bit better in the bubble. So if that's a legitimate positive trend, then that can end things a lot quicker. Yeah, I'll take the Celtics in uh, in six. I, I mean, I think they're going to beat the Raptors in the next series if they get past the Sixers too. I just think that's... They're just a more well-rounded team, and I think it's funny. In Philadelphia right now, 
it's about as fatalistic an attitude as there has been towards the Sixers in a while. People just don't want this team to play anymore. And I, you know, I don't think they're playing quite as bad as people are making it out to be. But it's been the story of the season. Is the problem is that not only have they underwhelmed, it's that the Celtics and the Raptors and the Heat and all of these teams have shot up a few levels and, and they are playing really well around it. So, yeah, I actually think the Sixers are going to score pretty well. I think Embiid's going to have some big nights. But my problem is just that I think like one of those Celtics wings is going to have a huge game every night. And, uh, you know, there will be a few nights where, you know, the threes might not go in quite at that level for the Celtics and the Sixers can steal a few. But I, I don't foresee it going, you know, anything more than six. Yeah. No, I, I I joke that I'll give the Sixers six just because they'll win two out of three at home. They're that good at home. <laughs> so I will I will stick with that. Uh, I do think Embiid's going to steal steal a game, maybe two. Uh, I think this is a matchup he can have success against. The Sixers just don't have enough. They don't have enough off the dribble. Uh, they don't have enough. When you guys brought up Canner. I thought that was a great point because the Sixers aren't really made to take, adv- or take advantage of his weaknesses. Um, so I think he will play a pretty big role in this series. If the Sixers just had, you know, I liked... I liked the Shake Milton experiment a lot more when you had a secondary guy like Simmons. You could put it at the elbow, you could put a pick and roll, that sometimes you could just put it at the top of the key and let him create too. Take away some of that ball handling pressure. I'm real worried about what the Celtics will do to the Sixers' lead guards. Um, if Josh Richardson was playing like December and January Josh Richardson where he was playing really well, I'd feel a little bit better. But he's not. He's playing... I, he turned on a little bit at the end. But by and large, the Orlando restart and really the end of the first half of the regular season as well. He has he has not been good, uh, and the Sixers really need him to succeed in his role. I don't think the Sixers have what it takes to slow them down. I will say Celtics in six. Um, we'll see. If Embiid plays at an MVP level, they have a chance, but that's a that's a lot to put on. I, I do feel like he's been playing a lot better off the double teams here in Orlando. I know they spent a lot of time working on him, on that with him during the... Uh, during the break, so we'll see. It, I, I'm sneaky worried about what his hand injury will do to his effectiveness. Uh, that did seem to linger into their last game. If he's even slightly hesitant trying to draw fouls, or if he's having a little bit of trouble gripping the ball, this could be over real quickly. I'm, I'm also curious to see, Rich talked about how the fans are just ready for this season to be over. I'm interested to see the, the psychological aspect of playing in the bubble. Like, are the 76ers players themselves like, yeah, we kind of want this to be over too. You know, like they know that there could be trades coming. They know their head coach could be fired. They know after Ben Simmons is gone, like they're probably not going to win a championship. So I, I do wonder about the psychological aspect for not just this series, but every series. Like if teams go down 2 nothing or 2-1 even, you're just like, yeah, I kind of want to get out of Orlando. I kind of like to go home. <laughs> so. Well, the good thing about players being worried about being traded is most of them have contracts that will prevent that, so they don't have to worry too much. <laughs> Tobias Harris ain't going nowhere. Um, that is true. Well, on that, I got like three questions before you guys actually sign okay. off, but I guess since we're talking trades now, um, do you do you offer Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal, or do you wait to see how Jeff Van Gundy can recalibrate the offense next season? <laughs> <laughs> I would, if Brett's got to go, I would very much enjoy a Van Gundy for. Uh, the, the, he's, he's fun. Either and Van Gundy works. Those two guys can fill it up the the notebook. But yeah, I, uh, you know, obviously people are gonna uh, talk about trading Ben Simmons. I, I just can't get there yet. I, I still think he and Embiid. And honestly, like listening to Embiid's comments recently, like he's even in this crappy season they've had, he's just been like, "Look, I want to play with Ben Simmons for a long time." And I mean, Simmons, like the shooting is just maddening and the fit is not great. And I think if you see, like, let's say like the Sixers steal game one and Embiid goes crazy and the uh, the perimeter shooters make all those shots, you're going to hear a lot of noise because that's just the way the Sixers work when one of the two guys <laughs> is out and the other one plays well. Um, I, I would not. I would still try and see if the uh, the Simmons and Embiid thing will happen and, and let as you said, Jeff Van Gundy or Ime Udoka or whoever the hell it is uh, figured out. I would also love to see them with pieces that fit. Like an actual lead guard who can create off of a pick and roll. Like what does that do to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? We've or never JJ really Redick. had a chance to, yeah, uh, JJ Redick too. Um, but they went from real lights out shooters, or at least 
shooters who are willing to take them to this version, I would love to see with, uh, like I said, not only that, that lead guard to play alongside them, but also pieces that fit. We just haven't really had a chance to see that too often here, especially this year. Yeah, I think like the Bill's Bill's an awesome player. Like, yeah. The best they were together might have been when like they had Marco Bellinelli, yeah, and Ursanelli Silva, and, and those guys Robert like, Covington and Covington yeah, and right? in a, in really a vacuum, those guys aren't great. Like Covington's Covington's really good, but like in a vacuum, they're not great players. But just putting pieces that fit around those guys makes so much more sense than some of the pieces that have been there lately. So I, I do want to see what they could do with a roster constructed around them rather than like just throw as much talent out there as possible and see what happens but yeah they they went way too far in one direction on the talent versus fit idea and also they just the talent wasn't quite as good as they thought it would be too so yeah they need look they need three guys who can just bomb around them and i don't know how they do it because their contracts that they have on the books suck a couple of them but they, they got to try, and that, that would be how I would move forward before trading one of them. Before we get back to the show, let's take a minute to hear about Indochino. Got so some said, shooters. You said you had a couple questions? Oh, uh, yeah. Then I guess for this series, why don't they just switch to ice on pick and roll instead of over since most of their guys suck at going over screens? Well, I think I, I would disagree on Richardson and, and Matisse. I think they can go over screens. Pretty, not Richardson lately. Richardson at the beginning of the year, he could. Uh, they sh- he's just he's been in a funk since he got back. I can't really explain it. Uh, I would expect, especially when Embiid's out, I would expect they will change that up here in the in, in the playoffs. I, I would expect you will see more varied pick and roll coverages. I, I think, think you're going to see Horford up closer to the three point yeah. line mm-hmm. on a lot of these. And I think like a lot of people in Philadelphia would say like. Oh, that's so obvious when people are drilling mid rangers and, and threes, but you know, he's gonna have to stay in front of these Celtics guards driving at him now. Um I don't know, it's been weird. It's the it's the way they construct their team around Joel Embiid. It's a I, I would say it's not just a Brett Brown decision. Like the front office is is very uh cognizant Involved. of like yeah. instilling this game plan. And to be fair, like when Embiid plays, they're awesome defensively. And they're awesome just in general, but I do think they need to change up what happens when he's not in the court because it doesn't work. And I think they will. I think for some reason, for whatever reason, they, they, they're very stubborn about staying in their base defensive scheme, almost irrespective of who they're playing and who's on the court in the regular season. Last year against Brooklyn and Toronto, they, they, they changed it up. I would expect you will see more. Yeah. Like if you're going to go down, at least try shit, right? Like, like don't, don't just have... Kemba Walker drilling three after three off the uh, off the pick and roll. Like at, at least at least make him do something a little different. That that would be my request for uh, for Brett Brown and Co. <laughs> or just like at least like you know coach enough and have your team be disciplined enough to handle multiple schemes based on matchup in real time, like most of the other best defenses in the NBA do. You know, like the Celtics, for instance, they're able to switch up their coverage based on personnel. They don't have to like you know call a timeout and say let's switch to this coverage. Like they all know if you see this guy with the, this ball handler with this screener, you're going to go into ice versus over versus weak. Versus a switch like they're able to actually scheme multiple coverages at the same time which is kind of what's required if you're going to be a good defense in the modern nba yeah and they've in the bubble they've they've started to go under bad shooters more and help off bad shooters we've seen some tweaks around the edges but the problem is they're playing boston where there's there's not too many of those weaker players <laughs> i mean maybe they could do it a little bit what what happens the when guys. the celtics do go into their bench though like if shemmy ojale or brad wanamaker gets on the court then it's way easier to play Horford and Embiid together. Like, just so much easier defensively to get away with that. The matchups are so much better. I, and, I, like, if, if Horford's just sagging off Shimmy, then that paint is going to be tough to score on, even though, as I said, the, the numbers don't look pretty for the Sixers for the full season. Yeah, they're going to have to eat in those minutes when, whenever those guys get on the court. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's pretty clear that they should be helping off those guys. Philadelphia high school basketball legend Brad Wanamaker, uh, mind you, <laughs> when when those guys play. But um, you know, it's it's not going to be a, a major part. Didn't of Didn't he game. dunk on you? No, no, that was one of the Morris twins. Actually, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which which one it was, but it was it was a hell of a dunk. 
<laughs> was this just you were walking through Philadelphia and a hoop magically appeared and they just dunked on you? I mean, what's the scene here? I, I, I like, wish. I, I like the phrasing, though, dunked on Rich. Like, Rich got anywhere near the rim to block the shot. I was, to be fair, like, it, it was... Hey, it, nuts it, are in your face, nuts are in your face. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't directly on me. It was it, it was on my friend, but it was a... Uh, it was an alley-oop in a, in a Sunny Hill Summer League game that was like the Morris Twins just not even trying against our team for the most part. They won by like 10, just not even caring, but on one play. Again, I don't know which one it was. Like They look very similar, but <laughs> put, put it down on my friend Brian. It was it was pretty rough. Brad Wanamaker was a, uh, and I told Jay this before too, was an excellent leaper in uh, in high school as well, like a good dunker. And now it doesn't look like he can even dunk. Honestly, he's had three career dunks. Yeah. Well, well, he's like 50 years old. So that makes sense. Yeah. He's, he's aging very quickly, I guess. But at, at one point he could leap out of the gym. I love that Brad Wanamaker was just a high flyer. That's my favorite part of the Brad Wanamaker story. He just used to dunk all over everybody. Who would have thought? All right. All right. Uh, I think uh, anything <laughs> else? I think I think you said you had three questions. Um, I don't know if, if Brad Wanamaker dunking on Rich was the third one or if you had another one lined up. I think I think my third question was which Philadelphia basketball legend is dunked on Rich. So okay, that should it. satisfy it. It's always a good question to uh, get clarity on. All right. I think that is a good place to cut it off. Thank you guys for jumping on. Uh, we appreciate it. And yeah. Thank we'll, you guys. This we'll not fellas. see you guys soon, but we'll I'll, I'll slack you soon. Yeah. We'll we'll zoom. We'll zoom. Yeah. I'm going to FaceTime you randomly now just to, <laughs> just to make up for this. Well, good thing I don't have an Apple device. All right. Have a good one. See All you guys. Right, see you guys. Right, thanks, guys. All right, listeners, you can hang in right there. Rich and I have about 20 more minutes of Sixers-specific talk as we preview the series. On the podcast. Or on the rest of the podcast. All right. So Rich and I just got done with a chat with Jay King and Jared Weiss, the Celtics reporters for The Athletic. I guess real quick, if you want to follow them, uh, please do follow them at Jared Weiss NBA and at by J King. So now that we sort of had a little more of a Celtics focus in the first half of this podcast, and this Rich and I will be relatively brief here in the second part. But we, we, I mean, we gave our predictions at the end. Neither of us are picking the Sixers. Newsflash. <laughs> Shocker. I said Celtics and six. If I'm being honest with my gut, it's probably Celtics and five. But I, I think a different way to phrase this, what percentage chance do you give the Sixers of winning this series? Pretty low. I, I would say somewhere in the twenty, probably like 20. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that doesn't seem, I'm sure to some people that'll seem like way too much. To others, it'll seem like way too low, whatever. Uh, I, I do think they have a puncher's chance because Embiid against these guys, despite what Jared said about Enos Kanter's uh, post defense, and I, I do, you know, he had the numbers to actually back it up. And uh, I, I do agree, like that Kanter's a big boy, and that's yep most of the battle down there. Um, despite that, I, I do think Embiid has a chance to completely light them up. I am, we, we actually let's let's save Embiid for a minute, but because and stick to the the point of their chances to win. They're going to have to have great shooting again, and they've shot 41.6% from three in the bubble. They're going to need to keep that up. Like that's, I would be a little surprised if they're going to win the series and it's not like a lot of threes at above, you know, 38, 39%. The, uh, you know, the Burkses, the Miltons, the Corks, Corks on fire right now. Um, and the rest of the the crew, the Harrises and the Richardsons, they need to fire away from three, and they need to make them. Yeah. And I think they need Tatum and company to miss like these step back threes that they are very capable of of making. And I think there needs to be like a little bit of of goading them into bad shots. It's. I'll say this: there is. Would you? I'll actually ask you the question first. Do you think the fan base has been this down on the Sixers since we've started doing this? No. I think this is the the, the the most down on the team since I don't think they believe in the pieces. I don't think they believe in the coach. I think in a, a weird way, I think they probably believe in the star player more than they have <laughs> in maybe the entire time he's been in Philadelphia. Maybe not to stay healthy, 
but in terms of his his game, I think they believe in him. It's just almost quite literally everything around him. Yeah, and at the risk of making this uh, basically a pre-mortem where we uh, <laughs> we go over what is wrong with the team that we think is going to lose in in the first round, I think I agree with the, the general idea of being down on like where they are as an organization. Yeah. They should be in a better place for, you know, all the obvious reasons that we talk about every podcast. Um, I don't quite understand being down on this specific team. Like it feels like they're down in terms of like this team sucks and it, and I would just point out that Ben Simmons is awesome. And if you lose him, like you're not supposed to win with this yeah. specific team. And it's been funny where I think a lot of the, you know, we were wondering if the supporting pieces were going to play well. And while I agree, like some of these guys have contributed to the bad defense. Alec Burks is playing very well right now. Uh, I think Matisse Thibel is, you know, he's, not completely consistent yet, but like you saw in that uh, fairly meaningless game against Houston, kid can uh, can really create some havoc. He's got a chance to be a pretty good player. Cork is uh, after a rough start. He's making a ton of threes now. Shake is uh, is shake, and like when you when you look up to the the more important pieces, the ones that you're paying all the money. I think Tobias Harris after the Portland game where he didn't get fouled. Looks like he's making a concerted effort to get fouled. And he played, I thought, two excellent offensive games. It's too. really funny. He got so much publicity. I think he had like 30 points in one game and or 30. He scored like 55 points in his first two games. And he got a lot of pub about how well he's playing and how this is the version of Tobias Harris you need if you're going to have a chance. I thought he was much better in the second half in Orlando. He was. He had his head up on some drives. I thought his, I thought his passing was about as passes. good as it's yeah. been. Like he, some, he, some awesome passes, honestly. He sought out contact and got to the free throw line. Like this is the version of Tobias Harris where, look, he'd still be an overpay. Don't get me wrong. But this is closer to the person you need if you are going to give him that kind of money and give up those kind of assets to get him. This this was this was one of the better two or three game stretches. And some of his shots didn't go in. Like he wasn't making shots at the clip he was earlier in the Orlando bubble. But yeah, the, his play towards the end there I thought was more encouraging than his play at the beginning. Did you see that there were a couple times in those last few games where he got into his, you know, mid-range area and a guy was right on his hip? Yeah, he found and, the cutters. And and you could see, well, no, I'm talking about, he, oh, okay. he definitely did that. But but he also, like, there were a couple times where he, you could see, like, the, the wheel spinning in his head. Hey, if I upfake, this guy might jump. <laughs> and if he jumps, I can jump into him. And guess what? I get two free throws for that. And uh, he did it a few times. I think... You know, after that Portland game where Richardson went crazy, and honestly, they would have won the game, A, if they would have guarded Portland. To be fair, nobody's guarding Portland right now. And, and Portland's, and guarding Portland's not guarding anybody. <laughs> but, you know, in, in that second half of it with Portland guarding nobody, they they did stop Tobias Harris to it. Like, you know, it was the normal Tobias Harris 20 points on 20 shots game. Uh, I, I definitely think he uh, he heard that criticism and – you know, I'm not sure he's going to be able to overhaul his game completely, especially against a team like yeah. Boston. But I do think it was a good sign that, like, in the next few games, he he said, all right, I'm going to make it a point to get to the free throw line. So that's a good thing. And I think hopefully that's something he can get a little bit better at moving forward. So that's important. I think Al Horford looks good. It's a bad series for him against his old mates because they have all these wings. And uh, there's... You know, maybe if he gets matched up against Canner, I think Brad Stevens is too smart to do that. But I do wonder, like, if you play Canner at backup center, which they've done for most of the year, that's one I think Horford can win. Yeah. Fairly decisively, honestly. I mean, I think you're basically trading threes for twos, and obviously there's there's a lot more that goes into that. But Canner's I mean, really going to so have whole- to destroy him on the block. Yeah. And I think, like, the stuff Horford did to Embiid over the past few years – Yep. If there is a matchup that they're able to do that with, and I think Toronto would be a good one in the second round if, if they're able to to make it there. Uh, I, I just think like Al Horford to me, he looks like there's a chance that like you can see that guy 
um, from the playoffs over the past few years. The problem is you need the right matchup, and I'm not sure this yep. is the one. No, I mean, look, Al Horford at the five in in, in this matchup certainly. I mean, it, it's like it's like what he used to the the panic he used to cause in Embiid just at a much larger scale because you're doing it against Cantor. Um, Horford's not going to be bullied in the post like you would expect someone of his size. He's going to draw you out and make you uncomfortable in those closeouts. That certainly is, but like you said, I think I think Stevens is smart enough where he will figure out how to juggle his rotation so he's not he's not putting Cantor on that island. What have you thought of Horford at the four in the bubble? I mean, he's he's been. I was surprised at how many threes he's made so far. Yeah, because I feel like every time I look up, he's either missing a corner three or getting it deflected or or, or something. Um, but he's shot well, and he's 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 played pretty well. He's uh, honestly, it's. There is a, a little bit of me that feels like with Simmons out, Embiid and Horford is a little bit more tentative. Not enough. Like, I still think he's a slow enough three-point shooter and a hesitant enough three-point shooter where he's not really going to pull out a defender. He's not really going to open up that paint. But he has played he's, he's played well, for sure. It's weird, right? Like, you thought that the main combo that couldn't play together is Horford and Embiid. But I think you're seeing that it, it's really it's the three of them that is like super disastrous. Yeah. Now maybe Horford and Embiid is not championship level, and maybe Horford making all these threes is probably not going to continue. But and I've still, liked what I've seen. It's still too much money, and like there's all there's still sure. Pro, but when you're talking about this specific series, yeah. But but I like what I've seen. Um, I, I've liked the high low game, although he did have one against Houston where. Embiid had a really easy seal on the high-low. And horse touch sometimes. It's Whether it's on those layups or those passes, he can just, he can just throw the ball way too hard sometimes, and then you get the, you get the clap right afterwards. <laughs> but he, I like how he's looked, and I think – I mean, honestly, I hope for the Sixers' sake that he has a really good series. I think it would be honestly really impressive if he was able to affect a matchup that doesn't look like it's tailor made for him. If he was just, you know, if he was making threes and he was really smart and he was able to cover up whatever defensive weaknesses the Sixers have, let's see how he does against Tatum. If if he matches up against him, that would be a huge selling point. Maybe going into the summer, if the Sixers do look to move him, as you would suspect they do. But I do think I think my main point is that this team right now, I. Feel like they're getting a tad too much crap. Um, like, like the, the situation is bad. They uh, there's too much money, obviously tied into some of these players. With Simmons out, realistically, they're not going to go that far in the playoffs. But I feel like a lot of the individual pieces are in at least a decent spot. And and to that point, if Embiid is able to uh, to be at his best. I think they have a puncher's chance in the series. I am a little worried that he's just going to be looking down at his wrist the whole time, though. Yes, that was that, not, that, that was like not very legitimately concerned. Yeah, no, and, and he did not look normal in his last game. He it, it 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 look he's going to play through this. I'm sure of it. I'm not worried about that. But it's like I said, if if that rip through move he hesitates doing, or if he hesitates going strong to the rim, or if he just can't grip the ball well enough to handle some of these double, like they're going to be digging in on him, and I'm not just digging like like the action of a perimeter guy coming down, but actually digging in on his hands and trying to poke that ball out constantly. Marcus Smart will take three fouls per game doing yes. that. Yes. Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm worried about that. And, and, it's, and the Sixers it's tough not- because it, it didn't really seem like there was a lot there. I mean, it just seemed like he got smacked on the wrist. Like, well, it's, it's, something it's, that- like, it's like the Simmons injury, too. That didn't seem like there was all that much there either. And you rewatch it, and all of a sudden, he's just he's, he's bouncing on one leg. <laughs> yep. And uh, and with Embiid, he's just looking down at his hand all times. Now, I know, like, do you remember Redick back when he played here? He was like, he, he basically called Embiid a baby a few times. Like, he's yeah. he's just acting. He's playing it up. Yep. You better hope that's what it is because, yeah, I think the – I mean, it's obviously – it's a shooting wrist. If he doesn't have any no. touch from from three, from the mid-range, it's going to be tough. And I think it, it's going to be a series two, especially like when Tice is in the game. And, and I think they're going to start with Tice on him just because like the Celtics' best five involves Daniel Tice. Like he's been 
he's been good enough and, and maybe Stevens will hope that he makes enough threes to, to offset the matchup. It's got to be a mat- matchup where Embiid is posting up like crazy. That that third quarter he played against Orlando, it has to be that from the moment the Sixers play against the Celtics. And that's hard to do. Like That's hard physically. That's hard mentally. But it's really the only chance they have to win. Like these... Um, these post catches at the three point line can't happen. These fadeaways can't happen. That's playing right into these guys' hands. Like he's gonna have to shoot fifteen free throws a game to to make this a series. It's going to have to be to the point where the Celtics are just like, holy shit, we, we need to to double and get the ball out of this guy's hands. It has to be the December game, basically. Yeah. Yep. Um and look, that's that's gonna be hard. I uh I'm not going to think any less of Embiid, but you know we, we've talked a lot. Like, hey, the the next step for you is to uh, to be a dominant playoff player. So he he has the opportunity to uh, to really prove it here. And I think uh, like look if they if they're able to win the series and he goes off, that's going to be he's going to be thought about very differently. I would say around the league that that would be a huge feather in his cap. Yeah. So I guess yeah. you can look at it as an opportunity, as weird as it sounds. No, it's definitely, I mean, look, this is a, a very good Boston team. Like you said, I, in the first part of this podcast, like they, they could very well get to the conference finals. This is a team that was, I think, fourth in both, both offense and defense. <laughs> They're really good. Like Brett said, they have four guys who could drop 30 on you. Like you look at some of the, like, it's, it's so weird looking at this matchup and going back just two years ago and how different things are. But like the addition of Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward coming back and looking like Gordon Hayward used to look. Jalen Brown's growth, Jason Tatum's growth in the second half of the season. Like this is a very different team than the one that we've seen, despite having, you know, that Tatum Brown combination that um, is sort of the basis of that. This is a team with a lot of different weapons. A lot of guys who can take you off the dribble. A lot of guys who have really grown in their game. It is a, it's a tough matchup for the Sixers. You know, I think when we, it's a tough matchup for Al Horford defensively to start. Like it will be interesting if that struggles if they will pivot out of that, and if they do pivot out of it, do they go offense with Burks or defense with Matisse? Unfortunately, you're sort of getting two one-way players to choose from. Matisse's defense, I mean, it was honestly a little jarring how much Brown was talking up the role he could play in this series. Uh, the other day, I guess, what was that? Um, Friday. Friday. Yeah, my, my days are still all screwed up. Um, at we least know. This time Everybody who listens knows. <laughs> at least that's how I'm not trying to convince you it is Tuesday. It, but like you, just, usually a coach would say, "Well, he's young; it'll be tough, but we'll see what we can get out of him." He was talking him up in a big way, and you get why. Like we need this rookie, Kemba Walker, who has no idea what he's rookie. doing. <laughs> uh, he, he's looked pretty good in Orlando. He's looked real good defensively in Orlando. He's made enough shots to stay on the court. He's made enough cuts, um, but they need him to be to be real because they just don't have very many options, especially without Simmons. And he's got to stay out of foul trouble too. And it's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask, and it's one of those I'll things. I'll never forget that because Celtics were the first game of the season, and you come out, and Kemba Walker just, he fucking picks on him. And in the first half, like, he's up fake, getting him in the in the air, fouls from behind. Like, he, it was like, holy shit, they don't have those kind of offensive players in the Pac-12. And by the second half, to his credit, like, he was a lot more competitive. Snuffed him a couple times, yeah. You're going to need him to really show growth in this series because they desperately need that defense. The problem is he is very effective as like a 15, 16 minute per game player, maybe a 20 minute per game player. The way Brett was talking about him was like, yeah, he, it sounds like he might get close to 30 and I get it. Like this team has great wings and he's going to have to play that style without fouling. I'm not sure he can do it. And that's not a, uh, it's not a knock really on him yet. It's, it's a really tough task. This is, I think this is almost a championship caliber team they're playing against and they are playing against them without Simmons. And I just think like we, we mentioned it on the last podcast, Simmons on the defensive end, that domino falling over is, I, I think it has a chance to be pretty disastrous for him in this series. And yeah. as well, as good as I'm feeling about how Tobias is playing offense, Josh had a couple of okay offensive games, I guess, uh, and the way Horf is shooting and Burks and all that stuff. To me, that, any one of those could come tr- crashing back down in a second, though. I agree. 
but but I just feel good about the template of Embiid with space if he's uh if he's yeah. locked in. I feel pretty good about that. As good as Boston is about rotating, I just think the other end of the floor is going to be really hard. It's going to be really freaking hard to stop these guys. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. It's uh, Brett's last stand, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I don't even know. Like, what's the? Is there anything he could pull out of his uh, his pocket that that or? Anything that he hasn't really shown yet that he could uh, he could dust off. I don't. It, it's I just mean, it's the so Celtics have so many ways that they can beat you. Is the problem? Well, there's so many like they, they're so good coming off of a screen. They're so good drawing out switches. There's no real players to double off of. Um, they are a, they are a tough team to guard. You know, I think last year with the Raptors, as good as they were, like there were ways you could scheme to provide help. These guys are much tougher to do that against. I. It'll be tough. Do we see Embiid against Tatum? <laughs> Remember that one? <laughs> At the start of the season, yeah. yeah. Um, probably not, but... Yeah, probably. I mean... It, he's more effective against guys who don't like to shoot threes. Yes. And for as much as... Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I, I, was, I would think you'll see him. And for as much as, like I said, Tice has improved as a three-point shooter, I think that's still the one you're going to sag off of the most. I don't know. And if he's not making threes, that's... That's your one hope defensively. Funnel them into we'll Joe. Any other any other final thoughts? Um, this is going to end up being an hour-long podcast. I hope the officials let the series be physical. Yeah. That plays into the Sixers' hands more. And Marcus Smart. They have one guy who it'll play into his hands. But if the, uh, if the physicality and the uh, specifically like the flopping, it's – I find it really remarkable. Like a lot of teams, the Rockets were hilarious. Their defense against Embiid was just take a charge when when he goes to back you down. I'm holding out hope like the refs. And I don't think Boston really is a team besides Smart who uh, is like overly floppy or anything like that. Let let the big guy play in the post a little bit, right? You don't have to give him all of his – rip move bullshit but like let, let the boys play a little bit and uh i think the sixers will have a better chance if they do that because i'm just worried like R- richardson and thibel they, they cannot be in foul trouble because they're gonna have to play heavy minutes defensively that's all i got i got so I'm, I'm rambling now but it's uh it's gonna be a really hard series for the sixers yeah it would i i think i'm pretty much in agreement with you on around a 20 percent chance low 20s which isn't a zero like it's 20 percent is significant um not that there's no hope in this series it would sixers would have to play at the top of their game there's no margin for error with Embiid, and some of these players who are on a hot streak need to need to continue and even even with all that i'm still not sure how they uh how they defend boston on the other end but i think it if they win i think their next round would be similarly tough but but i think it would be an easier series i think they could guard the next team a little better. I, th- yeah, I, I just think Boston's really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the other series, you would it would be almost like the inverse. You like you would you would you. I think they more naturally match up with the with Raptors. Yeah, but you have to worry about whether or not you're going to get top form and beat. Um, and especially with Simmons out, you're going to need that. So that would be a a different set of challenges. But we look. We'll we'll worry about that if we get to it. I think uh, I think we'll we'll cut this off because if I give you a chance, you'll get rambling about Brad Wanamaker again. We don't need that. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.